Hi, this is Claire Edwards and Michelle Sima. We are with Divorce Doula and we are recording a podcast to kind of highlight how the coaching process feels and looks and behaves. Michelle, you want to say hey? Yeah. Um, this is actually really exciting for me because, I mean, Claire and I are both in the process of learning about what coaching is and actually like seeing that in practice and applying it. Um, so that's what today is going to be in, in terms of role playing. I'm going to be the coach and then Claire's going to be the client. And I guess we're going to go through and identify the different things that we're going to be practicing as coaches or like what you've learned and what I've learned and, and going through that. For sure. So I think we'll do the breakdown at the end, but okay. let's go ahead and start with the hypothetical. Okay. So I'm going to start with what you sent me yesterday and this is where I'm going to start. But for anyone who's listening, I'm, I'm married to, my husband and his name is Evan and I will use his name during this coaching session. Um, and I'm not contemplating divorce, but we've definitely been through low points. So I kind of know how the mental rhetoric plays out. So I'll be kind of um, tapping into those lower moments in my marriage. <laughs> so mm -hmm. here's the hypothetical to kick it off. From our last session, we are still trying to figure out the best way to handle our divorce. My conversations with my husband seem to be getting harder and harder and tensions are definitely rising in the house. We are both still living together and have decided to do that until we make decisions about the home and where each of us will go after we finish the divorce. I am trying my best to hold it together in front of the kids, but I feel like I am totally falling apart. I think the kids know something is going on, but we have not told them yet. I'm so scared about telling them. And so for additional background, because I am going to tap into myself, um, my kids are actually one and a half and three and a half. Um, so I guess, Michelle, if we could start with that, um, how, how did, how could I even approach talking to, you know, my one and a half year old doesn't even talk back yet. I don't think that you can explain to a one and a half year old okay. much. <laughs> um, however, you understand that even a one and a half year olds can pick up on tensions, right? Mm -hmm. Um, so what do you think that could happen like within your household, if that's where the tension is, or like within the relationship that, that might affect your one and a half year old or things that could change that wouldn't make them feel tension? That's a good question. Um, so Jack's pretty, um, cool. Uh, he eats. So I would think that he would probably mm -hmm. show us that he can't handle stuff well if he either resists food or stops eating mm -hmm. or if his sleeping patterns change. Mm -hmm. um, and so I'll keep monitoring that for Jack. If um, our tensions get so high that he stops sleeping, then I think that's something that I would need to really act on. Mm -hmm. um, if our, our tensions get so high that he stops eating, that's something I'd have to act on. Yeah. Um, and he's pretty attached to me. So I think I probably should keep encouraging more time with his dad so that, you know, when we eventually split, he's not going to be too out of sorts by always clinging to me. So right. I definitely want to encourage that for him. Yeah. Well, it sounds like that you're definitely aware of, of him and how yeah. he might pick up and react to tension. Now, my three and a half year old is much more emotionally aware than his brother is. Okay. And for the duration of our marriage, since Christopher has started talking, he has been our referee. <laughs> and um, I had, 
a friend tell me this over the weekend. He goes, yeah, he's the adjudicator because you and your husband both like hearing the final word and y'all don't even care if you're right or he's right, you, me, myself, or my husband, um, but y'all need to have that adjudicated for you. And so Christopher fills in that emotional need that both Evan and I have to be adjudicated. Um, and so I think for Evan and me to split, that would kind of throw Christopher's balance off because he has spent, mm -hmm. spent so much time kind of bonding our relationship for us to, mm -hmm. to fill in that need to have that kind of higher authority. And I actually totally recognize that it's really messed up for a three and a half year old to uh, bond or, or fill that need in. But what do I, how, do you have any recommendations or do you have anywhere that I should look to kind of keep him out of it? Because I don't mind telling him, you know, daddy's going to move to another house or mommy's going to move to another house, but mm -hmm. I don't even know how he would handle it, you know? Right. Um, I think that it's important, like in terms of how you said that's not fair for him to even like be in that role in the first place. I mean, there's not any pressure on him to like be that referee mm -hmm. for you guys. That's just kind of the role that he naturally plays. Um, so I guess my question is to what extent is, is that his way of maybe like coping with what's going on? That's probably true. That's probably yeah. what he does. Um, but I, th I think I probably should be a little bit more of an adult around. <laughs> it's just the way his personality is, is really similar to my husband's. And I really lean into my husband for a lot of adulting. And so um, the three and a half year old fills in that void and reminds me to like clean up the kitchen and do stuff like that. So in building a household for myself, I'm going to really need to not let him engage in being a parent to me. Um, and that'll be a definite goal that I work for. Okay. So on the coaching end, Michelle, if you could hold me accountable to not let that three and a half year old be my parent, <laughs> I'm aware that he's filling that role and I don't, I don't want that for him. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's really important to not let them fulfill that role, even if it's intentional or not. I feel like sometimes with splitting up, kids can kind of slip into these roles of, um, I mean, it might not apply to a three and a half year old, but becoming the man of the house, you mm -hmm. know, picking up some things that you know, they shouldn't. And he still can hold you accountable in ways. So like you said, like holds me accountable to clean the kitchen the same way that my dog holds me accountable for waking up every morning. Cause if I don't wake up on time, he's not going to get fed on time, you know? So that makes me the better person. Um, but so I have two different avenues that I kind of want to go down. And one is in terms of telling the kids about splitting up and mommy and daddy living in two separate houses. Um, I think that a family therapist or a child therapist, um, even just a singular conversation with one of those professionals getting in touch with them. They probably even have brochures on how to tell kids. Um, so I have to outsource you there because I can't, I can't give you that advice. Um, but the other thing is you brought up where you can take control of your own behavior in terms of acting like more of the adult mm -hmm. around the three and a half year old. So I really want to bring awareness to your little circle of control that you have over that. Cool. So first of all, I can um, alleviate your concern. I do have a therapist appointment for myself and my hypothetically soon to be ex-husband tomorrow morning at 9 a.m. So <laughs> we will be checking in for that. Um, and it's important to both of us that we co-parent well. So for us to show up at the counselor's office, um, I think she's a PCL, I don't know, Blue Cross, okay. what's her, we, Blue Cross covers her. So 
um, I mean, covers her, counts toward her deductible for us to use her Blue Crosses. Mm -hmm. um, so what I'm getting at though is, um, yes, check mark on that. And then okay. also in terms of the accountability with the three-year-old and the control, will you rephrase that question? I kind of got lost on it. Um, I did kind of combine it into one whole question. I think that mainly I was asking in what ways do you think that you could take control over your own behavior? So you brought that up. You yeah. were the one who said that. So I want to know, I want to know more about that. I want to dig there in terms of what does that mean? And that's a good question. And that's an issue actually, that's been uh, a dagger in our relationship the whole time. So I struggle with cleanliness in the house. I just do. Mm -hmm. um, I, I can live pretty sloppily and it doesn't phase me. I mean, once a week I need to change my bed sheets and like wipe off the counters and stuff and do the dishes. But uh, one of the things that has driven my husband and me from each other has been my undesire to clean the dishes every single day. Mm -hmm. um, so, and, and his desire to do the laundry regularly. So those have been some things that have kind of uh, pushed us apart in our marriage. Okay. And so I think for me to behave more as an adult around the three-year-old is really to force myself into that routine because I know, because I've read all the parenting books that the three-year-olds need to see the routine. So mm -hmm. um, I probably should start waking up before him so that I can be sure that the kitchen is clean when he wakes up. Mm -hmm. And I should be sure to, um, after he falls asleep, uh, make sure that the laundry is folded and ready to go for school the next day. So to show him that I am the adult, I need to just do those little things in my life. Um, the dishes and the laundry. Uh -huh. It sounds so trivial, but it really does make an emotional impact. No, absolutely. I mean, I'm still victim to that in my own life. If I don't, you know, have that environment set for myself, so I can only imagine what it would be like for a child to have that like routine and that consistency and cleanliness, honestly. Yeah. Um, and then another thing that came up in the intro was um, Evan and I are both still living together and have decided to do that until we make decisions about the home and where each okay. of us will go after we finish the divorce. Mm -hmm. So um, I, I'm really nervous about selling the home. And I was actually just looking at some old financials that we have together about how much the home has appreciated over time. And so we've been able to hold on to that appreciation and that what feels like equity in the home but I don't know whether it's better for us at this point to sell it or to try to buy one or the other out of it. Mm -hmm. Have you had this conversation with him? Mm -mm. Have nope, you thought about having this conversation? <laughs> What'd you say? Have you thought about having this conversation? No, it's a really scary conversation. I don't want to have it with him. <laughs> right. There's just so much. I mean, first of all, acknowledge and celebrate. You just moved on so quick from this plan that you made for holding yourself accountable for the kids and being mm -hmm. the adult. And you were like, this is a thing I need to do. And then you defined how to be an adult and these like mini steps. So I do want to, before we even end our session, make sure that like, by the next time we meet, we can set yourself a goal for that. So that's goal number one. You move very fast as a client. Goal number two is then maybe even begin thinking about having this conversation with Evan about the house and what's going to happen with it. Throw these financials at him. So I just get so much anxiety about these, about the house. And I've talked to all my friends who are going through divorces. And um, on the one hand, it sounds so wonderful to sell the house and then get the equity from it. But on the other hand, like, would I even be able to finance myself for a mortgage? You know, I'm a small business owner. I don't think I show that much income. And I don't think the banks like when I 
have only myself to rely on for income. Mm -hmm. So I don't even know if they would or how they would look at my financials. Have you seen that happen? Um, well, first, are you in touch with a financial professional? No, I probably should talk to a mortgage broker. Yeah. And I haven't even applied for pre-approval yet, but I probably could. Okay. I should, I should do that. Yeah. So, and I would, I mean, I would definitely take those steps, um, even before deciding what to do, just talking with those people, um, because they can probably answer a lot of your questions. Um, I, of course, would recommend writing down your questions before you go into these meetings. I mean, you seem like a very organized and efficient person, but that way you know that you have it in front of you, everything you need to ask, um, what kind of answers you need, you know? And then when they give you those answers too, we can even make a list of questions around those answers. Like, what are your concerns there? Well, that gives me a lot of peace of mind. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And is that a step you want to take before you take the step of talking with Evan? Like, do you want to, it sounds like you want to figure this out for yourself before having that conversation with him. Am I right? In, in You're that? very right. But now that you say those words out loud, I realize I probably should talk to him to see if he would do the same for himself. Like, for example, if one of us was able to get pre-approved, but the other one wasn't able to, we mm-hmm. would want to have the stable housing for the children. Right. So I'll try to engage him, even though our relationship is uh, deteriorating to the point where I don't know if he would even accommodate that in a timely way accommodate the conversation or accommodate the task of both. So I, and one of the ways that our marriage has been deteriorating has been, for example, for taxes, like it's March 22nd and came and listen, this is, uh, again, drawing from anxieties (laughs) about relationships. Um, my anxiety is that he hasn't filed his taxes in a timely manner. So how can I trust that he would try to see if he could refinance the house in a timely manner. So I guess, Michelle, if you could help me set a good, reasonable goal, because I know for me, I want it done tomorrow, but I know for him, he could probably take a whole year. So what is it like a a good, I mean, that's a 365 day difference. What's a good, reasonable goal or how do I even determine that? Interesting question. Um, Well, first, I mean, you can't really control his behavior and his timeline. Mm-hmm. I mean, I guess you could push it, but it already sounds like there's kind of tensions within the household. So mm-hmm. creating more of those tensions versus, I mean, just kind of sitting back, you know, is there, is there anywhere that you could surrender control and like, it would be okay if you did, like, it would be okay if he followed his timeline for the taxes. Um, I guess for the taxes, I'm not so much worried as, as it is that the taxes are the reason that I don't trust that he would refinance the house. Does that make sense? I see what you're saying. Yeah. yeah. So if I were to stay in the house and he were to buy his own house or get an apartment, then I think I would be okay with that. But then I'd also be nervous about the entanglement of the mortgage payments and like whether I would owe him money back at the end of the community property settlement. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's the anxiety there. So that's, that's again, why I'm kind of reaching for feedback on what a reasonable timeline is. Yeah. Well, I think that through, I mean, it's natural because of patterns of behavior to maybe mistrust his timeline because of your example of the taxes. Um, But I think that you can't really set a timeline with him without 
having that conversation. So maybe if you were to have this conversation about like the house and what are we going to do and we need to take these steps, if you want to define a timeline for yourself of when you guys should both have this thing done and communicate that to him and then just kind of see what happens after that. That actually sounds good. And even hearing you say that out loud, I could probably do it through an email because I mean, neither one of us have a turn okay. at this point. So we're trying to work through it ourselves as much as possible. And I uh -huh. think we would probably respond to an email. And if I do have to get an attorney later, at least I could show them this email that I've sent him that shows how long it's been that he has kind of ignored me. Or yeah. if he doesn't ignore me, that's even better, you know? So yeah, yeah I think- And that's a great way. That. Yeah, that's a great way to go about it, to have that kind of paper trail, essentially. Um, and then, like I said, you can't, sure, you can mistrust him because of past experiences, but we can't, don't go there yet. <laughs> you know, try to have this conversation, establish that timeline, and then we'll, we'll cross that bridge when we get there if he, if he doesn't fulfill that timeline. Um, all right, so we set huge goals for today. We have accountability with the kids being the adults in the house, and you identified these small ways in which you can achieve that, waking up early before them, doing the dishes, folding the laundry. And then we have this anxiety wrapped around the house and separating your living situation and how you need to have this conversation with Evan, set a timeline and also get in touch with your financial professionals. Yes, especially the mortgage brokers to be able yes. to see if I can refinance. That's a great idea. So in these established goals, is there anything that might hold you back within these things? Oh, just my own scaredness about doing it. <laughs> <laughs> right. Of course. We so always said, you know, and, and also like a fear that I'm going to come up with an ugly tone. Um, mm -hmm. but I guess that's probably why email is best about asking him to do the refinancing. Yeah. Um, but when it comes to the kids, I don't think I, I have any ugliness about that. So I don't, I also don't think I'm really scared of that. So it's, yeah. it's really just the, the finances that are scary. Okay. Well, I'm glad that you identified that. And if you want to write this email and have a second pair of eyes go over it in terms of maybe me catching a tone, you sure. know, be like, you know, you can delete that sentence or reword it this way, or this is just completely unnecessary. I can, I can do that for you too within the next week. Yeah, that's um, great. <laughs> okay. And are you comfortable with setting a week goal? So by next week, you want to have this email sent to Evan? How about or by next week, I have it submitted to you and then we okay. can go over it together. So we'll have a draft by next week and then we'll yeah. go over it. Okay, same time for next week works for you? Yeah, that works for me. Okay, awesome. Thank you, Claire. You're welcome. So that was our sample coaching call for any of the listeners. <laughs> <laughs> and um, so in my coaching class, I'm told that I'm supposed to gather information, define what matters, identify blocks, establish action steps, encourage, hold accountable. And uh, Michelle did a great job of gathering information, although I was very forthcoming because we had a prompt to start with. Right. Um, and then defining what matters. I appreciated, Michelle, that she went like human by human. Like I got time to talk about Jack as an individual and then time to talk about Christopher as an individual and then time to talk about that anxiety between myself and Evan. So mm -hmm. I appreciated the breathing room between defining all the little things that matter. Okay. And then identifying blocks, um, we covered the, the fears and anxieties, and that was nice. Mm -hmm. um, and the action steps that definitely came about. And then, of course, the accountability to be able to come back again to it next week. Yeah. 
And that's part of like setting the next steps, obviously, is the accountability. And then also even asking obstacles too. So like, what do you see that might derail you? That's my way of being like, okay, in holding yourself accountable, this is going to come up. So be ready for that. Oh yeah. And even just like visualizing. So from my experience as being the coached person, just so much as visualizing, having that conversation is a really hard conversation to have. Mm -hmm. So that kind of helped me get to the point of saying, I don't want to have the conversation. I'd be much more comfortable writing it in an email. Yeah. So that can be really powerful. And then in the coaching space, being able to like work through that anxiety with another person, I feel like is a lot easier than like you just going home and doing that for yourself. Oh yeah. I I would have had um, probably cleaned the entire house before I ever set myself aside time to like spiritually think about those thoughts right and at that point I would have been so resentful because I had cleaned the whole house right procrastinating (laughs) productive tasks with other productive tasks exactly um well and and I know I said this within the session but you were you were an easy client to coach in the sense that I mean it was almost hard to keep up with you because of how efficiently you were moving through your own issues which I thought was really interesting Um, some clients are not that fast paced at all. And in some of my practice sessions, like you really have to work with people on points. Mm -hmm. And I think it's interesting that you said that I gave you the space to talk about each human and that felt really nice for you, but you were the one who set that tone. I was just following you. Like I could tell from the beginning when you brought it. I actually don't agree with that because if I was setting that tone, it would have been even faster. I, by having the ability to coach with you, I was able to slow down because I had to catch you up on these personalities and I had to catch you up on these behavioral habits. And there are things that I I notice internally or possibly subconsciously. So to actually bring it into dialogue was a really um, steadying feeling for me. Okay. That's interesting to hear. Um, And I like from the coaching side that you did that, that you first were like, okay, let's start with the one and a half year old. Mm -hmm. Let's stay there. (laughs) Um, And then in terms of your coaching process and mine, Mm -hmm. they're not all that different um, in terms of starting the session by identifying concerns and things like that, identifying what's important, and then just going on from there. Um, So essentially, like I'm supposed to follow the client down their path. So it's whatever is weighing most heavily on them. So you did present that scenario to me, and then you included your personal stuff. And then it's my job to be like, that's a lot. Yeah what do we want? Where do we want to start? Where do you want to go? Um, so I think that's important. And another thing that I tried to make an example of was expert perspective, because again, we're not professionals like attorneys and therapists and such. So it's important for coaches to make those recommendations. So anytime that you say something, I say, get involved with this professional. Yeah, that was fun. Um, cause I actually do have a marriage counseling session scheduled for tomorrow at nine. So I got to be like, check mark. Yay. (laughs) I did. And I would certainly hope that if I were going through a divorce, I would still at least reserve that time for like a co-parenting strategy session. You know, it doesn't have to be married. I'm not at the point that I would be getting a divorce. I don't want to like recover my relationship with this man. I just want to be sure that we are strategizing as co-parents that we are giving our children like the best possible future. I mean, whether it's resources or attention or whatever it is we would still yeah. need to be on that page together. Yeah. And that's definitely work that they do that I've realized through my training program and talking with people that, I don't know. And that's always the expectation too. Of when you get the recommendation to go see a marriage therapist, they're like, well, I don't want to fix my marriage. It's like, well, it's not about fixing your marriage. It's about how to like get through this to the next step. 
And okay. is that next step divorce then, you know, we'll take care of that when we get there. Yeah. And on a, a personal note, when I see counselors, I always start with like my medical background. So mm-hmm. I wonder actually as coaches, if we should get people to start with their, the last time I saw a therapist was background. Yeah. So that might be helpful too. Yeah. And that might actually be part of our intake packet is mental health um, background specifically mm-hmm. in terms of, have you seen a therapist before and what was your experience? So I think that's a really important piece. But that's also what step two or step three of the, of the 12 step process. Yeah. It's early on in our sessions yeah. and it would come up early on organically, even if we didn't have that design, mm-hmm. it just, it just comes up almost immediately. It's like, you need to seek higher help for this, Yeah, you know, higher intervention. So cool. well, good. Any parting thoughts that I still can't believe how vulnerable I was doing that. Uh, I know that was kind of coached, <laughs> not even <laughs> pretending, but like genuinely getting in those yeah. shoes. I mean, it takes vulnerability as the coach too. And I think that's important for people to know. Yeah. I mean, it takes vulnerability for me. So in addition to our flow of the session standards that I have in my program, there's also flow of the session session standards for the coach. So mm-hmm. how am I supposed to be present? How am I supposed to be developing trust with you and showing you that I'm focusing on you and listening to you? Um, so that takes vulnerability within myself because I got my own stuff going on too, Yeah. right? But I have to sit down with you and listen and I have to find that that focus too. So that was a cool practice for sure. Well, good. Well, I hope that people, listeners enjoy this podcast. This is the practice coaching session and Michelle and I are divorce doula. Visit our website at www.letstalkfamilylaw.com. No apostrophe, just let's talk family law guys. Um, and I'm an attorney in Louisiana, but I'm also getting trained as a coach and Michelle credentials. I have a background in psychology, master's in psychology, and I'm currently going through certified divorce coach training. Awesome. And it was a pleasure talking with y'all today. Thank you so much for listening.